Ba-doop-a-doop-a-doop-a-doop. Welcome to Growing Up 80s episode June 2020, a podcast where two friends talk about the things we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and that we still enjoy today. This time we are talking about, Robin, computers in the schools. Yes. Hey, Darren, let's remind the listeners about the exclusive Growing Up 80s part on. (laughs) Oh, what is that? Patron. Patron. The the parton only. (laughs) It's all parton all the time. That'd be pretty cool that if we had like a dedicated Dolly Parton podcast. Did you listen to the Dolly Parton podcast? No. Did she do one? She didn't do one, but somebody did one about her. Like it was only like not even a dozen episodes, but it was good. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No. Dolly Parton's America. Oh, I thought she was involved with that. She was interviewed for it. Yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a Dolly Parton's going to make this thing. Oh. Hey, Darren. Let's remind the listeners about the exclusive Growing Up Eighties Patron Only Podcast. Okay. We've got an exclusive podcast that we make every month for all our patrons. Support us on Patreon.com and start listening to them now. You can even, well, don't listen to them now. Finish this. Yeah. And then go to Patreon.com, support us, and then get access to all the past ones, I think, and all the new ones. Nice. So, hey, Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It has been a hot weekend in the old Thunder Bay this weekend, eh? Yeah, way too hot. It makes me just want to, like, sleep or something. My my new to me house has air conditioning. Oh, all throughout the house. That must be so nice. It's probably really expensive too, and it's gonna. I'm gonna find out in a couple weeks. <laughs> You're gonna get this horrible bill. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But right now, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Let turn. me go put on my parka. Yeah. <laughs> So today, this is kind of, I'm almost thinking of this as a follow-up. A few months ago, we did an episode about computer camp, (laughs) and we talked about, you know, going to this weekly summer camp and doing computer things there. But I want to go back kind of before that and think about the computers we had in our schools. And I think for a lot of kids, that was some of their introduction to computers. A lot of kids growing up in the 80s, first experience was with computers at school. Yeah. And that was actually by design in a lot of cases where the school boards or the governments actually said, hey, computers are going to be a thing. You know, they got convinced Mm -hmm. that computers are going to be a thing. We got to do something about it. We got to educate the children of Well, the children of today, the children of tomorrow, (laughs) (laughs) we got to educate the children of today about computers so they can be the computer experts of the future. Yes. And so we can, so our economies, which are going to be all computer based, uh, so our countries will be, what what am I even trying to say here? Well positioned to make money and (laughs) take care of us when we are old and on the government cheese. Yeah, it, it, to survive in the digital future. Wow, you make it sound so cool when you say stuff like that. <laughs> so I think it varied, of course, from place to place. And Darren and I grew up in Ontario, Canada. Uh, well, that's still where we are. So mm. that's our experience. And for our listeners, of course, their experiences might be different. So we'll, we'll try and talk about, I, I know a little bit about what happened in other countries uh, as part of this mm-hmm. whole movement with getting computers into schools. But of course, we're not going to be able to cover everybody. And that's, that's not what this is really about. It's yeah. uh, primarily the memories Darren and I had. But because I lived in different parts of the world and uh, kept up, well, I shouldn't say different parts. I, li- I also lived in Australia for a year mm-hmm. and... I also had some connections with the UK. Uh, well, you and I just traveled there once, yep. for example. And also, I was just always reading the computer magazines of the day, which mm-hmm. came from the US and from the UK. So that's part of what tied me in. I, I have, uh, well, I think you two, <laughs> we, we have kind of a, a shared computer, what, what's the word? Um, History, experience. Yeah, it 
formation. Formation, yeah. There's a bit of universality to all this. Yeah. So where do you think we should start, Darren? Well, I think we should we should start generally with the world, including Ontario and Canada and the UK and stuff like that, what we know about. And then I think we should get specific for the second half of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Just our experiences with computers at school. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, the different systems that were around in the 80s in the schools. One of the biggest choices was as this computer revolution happened, uh, you know, they weren't going to start bringing like mainframe computers into the schools, really. It, well, of course, yeah. not, not generally, but what made this possible was this, the microcomputer, the introduction mm -hmm. of the microcomputer or personal computer. And so each country or even a more granular level, each state, province, or even each school board in a sure. municipality would have to make their decision. What are, what technology are we going to back? And they would take bids. So this varies. So we can't make a complete uh, generalization, but in the US, Apple, you know, the famous Apple that's still with us today, mm -hmm. their Apple II computers, they would bid, they had uh, discounts available for school. And so a lot of American, especially in the US, because it was an American company, Apple computers ended up in lots of schools there. Mm -hmm. In the UK, it was more of a government-wide, like from the very top level, they mm -hmm. decided that they were going to have a computer for the schools, and they, they actually went about creating their own. They took yeah. they took bids, and uh, the, the famous Sinclair Spectrum was part of the bidding process at one point, and some others... But it wasn't just the school boards. It was actually the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, yeah. wanted to do this educational system, not just for their students, but for their whole populace, where they would be producing educational television programs, mm -hmm. but they needed a computer to go with it. And so they went through a, a big process, and it was the Acorn Computer Company that got the contract to produce the BBC Micro, and that came out uh, in 1981. The process started earlier, of course, mm -hmm. and that actually created the ARM processor that's powering like all oh. our smartphones and everything. Oh. Yeah, that was its its origin there. Surprisingly, uh, that is, that's a surprise for me. Yeah, not that they put. <laughs> an arm in that first BBC, but it was no. part of the whole, the process. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, it's kind of neat that, well, it's, it's interesting that of, of course the BBC is a, uh, a public company. So, you know, it is a part of the government in the UK. Right. So like there is that it's, it's not like they just went out to NBC or something equivalent, like in the States and yes. said, Hey, let's partner up and, and, and make a, a computer or even PBS as far as I understand, which is it's, it's not a, an arm of the government. Right. But it's kind of funny that it would be branded as a BBC <laughs> computer thing yeah. as opposed to this, it's the UK ministry of education computer or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. It was the BBC computer literacy project. Mm -hmm. And that was the umbrella it was under. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if, if you want to learn, we're, we're not experts on this. Uh, if you want to learn more, Retro Man Cave on YouTube yeah. has done who, you know, grew up in that, <laughs> who grew up Era. there. Yeah. And uh, he did an excellent multi-part documentary about the BBC, about the whole initiative and uh, so I totally recommend that. If you just type in Retro Man Cave BBC Computer into YouTube, mm -hmm. you'll find his series. So I highly recommend that. Meanwhile, I, I lived in Australia in 1987. Mm -hmm. And when I took computer class there, there was this funny little computer called a Micro B. This, okay. Yeah. And it has a really cool logo. If you, if you look it up, it's this bumblebee with orange and black stripes. It's just a, a cute little logo that I think is very distinctive. And that computer got chosen in Australia. I was in Perth, Western Australia, uh, specifically Hollywood High School. And they had this lab of microbee computers. And 
at the time I was a bit of a Commodore snob, um, you know, being yep. 14, 15 years old and loving my Commodore 64, which, uh, I, I bought one as soon as I moved to Australia, I had to get myself one. Most of the kids at home had Commodore computers in, at least in Perth, but at school we had these micro bees. So yeah. it was neat to get to play with them. And I wish I had paid more attention then because now I'm totally intrigued by it. Sure. At the time I was like, oh, this is a crappy computer, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> but it's still neat. Like I just, I'm just yeah. looking at this. So it's either like a 16 or 32K Z80 processor machine. Yes. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they had distinctive look and. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm looking at the, uh, the micro B computer in a book system. I don't know. Oh, that's, that's Are neat. you familiar with that one? Yeah. I'll, but I'm looking at it and I think that looks like an Atari 600 or 800 XL. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the actual keyboard to me, the actual keyboard looked a lot like the, some of the Ataris of the XL yeah. series. Yeah. And like the same color scheme. And I guess when I first saw the, the badge on the top, it's like, oh, was that a cartridge port? Like right on the top in the oh, middle? Oh, yeah. Tell, but no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, neat, neat machines, and I find it fascinating how these things popped up. And I believe, uh, you know, we're we're not looking at everyone, but I think Sweden had its own interesting computer. Mm -hmm. I think uh, so. Many of these countries, not necessarily part of a school system, but in Russia, they had a ridiculous number of weird sort of spectrum clones hmm. that weren't a hundred percent compatible with each other. And sometimes I wish I had spare thousands of dollars <laughs> because for maybe about $200 each, you can source so many of these weird computers that showed up in Russia and so on. Some of them, only thousands were made of them and they weren't, they weren't good, but each one of them had their own unique look that yeah. was just built uh, I guess somebody thought it was a good idea to build some computers. So they, they did that. Yeah. And of course, all around the world. So it, with, with our various listeners, you know, let us know what oh, yeah. your local computer was because, um, there's probably a whole bunch I haven't heard of. And it, I think it'd be fantastic to have maybe somebody who makes videos about computers could, uh, do some kind of overview, a survey of all these yeah. different computers. I'd love to see just a kind of couple minute summary of each one all around the world. And then of course, diving in deeper from people who live in those particular countries. Yeah. That could be cool. Now to Ontario yeah. and Thunder Bay. So Darren, let's talk about experience here. Well, I don't think that we really experienced what you were just telling us about with with national and regional computer systems that were brought into schools and kind of mandated by the government until we reached high school. When That's we were right. in elementary school, um, I remember, you know, there's the pet that was in the back of the classroom for a few years. And then there was a Commodore 64 off to the side of Mr. Brian's in Mr. Brian's classroom that one year. And I think that, I have a memory of playing Karataka in the library. So there must've been um, a Commodore 64 in the library as well, but these were just, you know, teachers or maybe the school board or somebody deciding, Hey, let's get a computer into the classroom. And it didn't seem like they knew what to do with it. Particularly there was no real computer program as an educational program for us that we were following. It was just kind of there. And if you had an interest in it, then you could get some time, you know, either on recess or at lunch, or maybe if you finish your work, you can go to the back and, and fool around with this computer that's back there. Yeah. So I think there was a mandate somewhere around 1982, 1983, Mm -hmm. where every schoolroom would have a computer in it. Every classroom would yeah. have uh, have one. And I remember at our school, Edgewater Park in Thunder Bay, I, I basically remember the day that the computers all arrived and they got put in oh, each yeah. classroom one by one. And yeah, it was like, basically, here's a, a desk reserved for the yeah. computer. And kind of back by the teacher's desk or something, or by the sink. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> right next to the sink. 
And they all had this special case. So it was a Commerce 64 and put in a metal enclosure that mm -hmm. I did a video on my 8-bit show and tell. Yeah, yeah I did a, a video about this case. Basically, that's where all those came from. And I managed to get one when they're getting cleared out many years later. Mm -hmm. But it, the idea was to make a Commerce 64 almost pet-like in this metal enclosure, put a monitor on top, and make it somewhat student-proof. Uh, mm -hmm. not, <laughs> not entirely. Now, I remember we were in Miss Looney's class when that computer arrived shortly thereafter. I've shared before how when I was in Eaton's department store, there was a Commerce 64, and I got in big trouble from the salesperson for turning on the Commodore while a disc was in the drive. Do you remember mm -hmm. me, me saying that? So somehow I went to Miss Looney's class, the new Commerce 64 was there, and I turned it on with the disc in it, and I said, I, I think I did on purpose, feeling like a dumb okay. rebel kid, and told her, it was, yeah, and I remember her being super sarcastic. I think she didn't give a care about the computer at all, and she said yeah. something like, oh, you rebel you, or something about, <laughs> about turning on the computer with the disc in the drive. I don't know, that, that was a stupid memory. But, yeah. but they did bring some educational software in, mm-hmm. And do you remember any of those programs that we were supposed to play instead of games? I have a memory. I think this was a year or two later because I think when you were in Miss Looney's class, I was in Mr. Fawcett's class, which may have been grade six. Yeah, this might Does that be, sound about right. This might grade be five that or late. grade six. Yeah. yeah. And then so Mr. Brian, that would have been grade seven probably. And I remember oh. playing Rocky's Boots. Yeah. In his classroom. Yeah, so I, that was all, you know, assembling little bits. is is basically logic arrays and, you know, working through binary logic um, with a series of almost Rube Goldberg-like machines. <laughs> Ooh, Rube Goldberg. Yeah. Good. So, yes, Rocky's Boots is the one that is stuck in my memory the most as well. And was I remembering that correctly? Was it was it to teach us like computer logic, binary logic? Yeah, binary logic is <laughs> the right phrase. I was trying to teach uh, my my boys what a tautology was this weekend, <laughs> <laughs> and how'd that go? It was self evident. <laughs> yes. Did they tell you that? <laughs> no, <laughs> Dad. This is self evident. <laughs> yeah. So, we, so yeah, we had, but we also had a pet computer and presumably that was a couple years before the mandated Commodore 64. And maybe that was just a, a keen teacher or something managed to get one from the board or something like that to put in the classroom. Yeah. At the beginning, I think it was just keen teachers. And then mm -hmm. I think they had a one computer for every school or like three computers for every school yeah. kind of rule, yeah. which were all pets. I've got that picture of me sitting at a pet at about age 10 or nine, even in my living room at home. And that's because yeah. my, my parents, well, particularly my dad was a teacher at a school and they were encouraged to take the computer home for mm. the weekend, for the summer break, whatever, to get familiar with it. Right. And so my dad brought home with no real interest in learning it himself <laughs> but he knew I really wanted to play around with it. So yeah. we, so a number of times we had a pet computer at home way before I had my own computer. And it was just because we got to borrow it from the school. Yeah. But for some reason, part of the deal wasn't like here, you take a data set home, like a cassette drive or a disc drive. It was like, nope, you get the computer. So we spent all weekend typing in like a game from mm -hmm. there's a yellow covered book called Basic Computer Games, yeah, by David All A H L. So it's a pretty thick book of of listings, yeah, that we got we borrowed from the library. So we would type those games into the pad and have to adapt them, and then there'd be typos and everything. And right. between me and my mom, we would spend hours and hours and hours to get one game in because it sounded cool but there yep. are no screenshots and there's no anything right and at the end of it it might not even run 
because we made a typo or mm-hmm. it was written for a basic other than pet basic. Yeah. And at the end of it, that it, was not it was just heartache and disappointment. It was, it was, but that wasn't enough to put me off computers, but I think it put my mom off computers for about 20, 30 years. Ah, uh, well, good for your mom for, for trying it though. She I did. can't imagine my mom sitting down and, <laughs> and trying to figure her way through, you know, oh. What is this? Yeah. Maybe I why like I don't remember. Maybe I whined so much I sat there trying to do it myself and yeah. you know, oh, help, help me type a computer. The last thing that I remember about computers in grade school, elementary school, is it seemed like there was a koala pad in every classroom as Ooh, well. Oh yeah. The koala pad was a primitive stylus and pad drawing device for the Commodore 64. And yeah, I just remembered, oh, koala pad. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to be drawing pictures on the computer here. And so, yeah. Yeah. Koala pad. That's right. And that's why I have a couple koala pads in my collection. They oh, have wow. school that, you know, they have school names etched into the back of each yeah. koala pad. So a bunch of the Commodore hardware I have in my collection has school names etched onto various mm-hmm. parts of it. Everything from a Commodore 128D, and some of the ones that came from schools are so horribly (laughs) abused by the students, yeah. (laughs) Do you know if the Koala Pad was used for anything other than Koala Paint? Was was there any other software written for for it? I think somebody made like a GeoStriver for the uh, graph as like a mouse input alternative. I think Greg Naku might be working on some sort of using like a, a koala pad, kind of like a, a trackpad, <laughs> cool. like how trackpads work on, on laptops these days. Yeah. Yeah. But like no games or anything like that, that you, that you're aware of like from back in the day. No, I'm not aware of any from back in the day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it could be used basically as a paddle substitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd probably be fairly easy to port, like to adapt a game like Arkanoid or something over to the Koala Pad. Okay, neat. Uh, if sufficiently motivated, uh, that's probably something I could do. Hmm, sounds like a good video idea. Yeah, that's it is an idea. There you go. And I think we'd be remiss. Uh, I'd also like to hear back from our listeners about what the killer apps were for whatever your computer is. I think we have to mention Oregon Trail in passing as being, sure. like for people with Apple computers, they just totally know that one, right? There's one other one I want to talk about before we move on called Canada Cross Country. Oh, I forgot to yeah. look this up. It's the trucking simulation, right? There was an American version called Cross Country USA. So probably a lot of our American listeners are familiar with that. And we had a Canada version as well from 1986. But here's the weird thing. I just want to put this out there. Apparently, it only came out for the Apple II. We're talking about cross-country Canada. Mm -hmm. Came out for the Apple II in 1986 and came out for DOS in 1991. But Mm. never came out for the Commodore 64. But I almost can swear that I played it on the Commodore 64. So how, how do you think you remember that game? I thought, I I don't really remember the game. I thought I had read about it in connection with the Icon computer. Oh. So maybe we can segue into high school days and talk about Icon. And and, while you look up that. Well, I I have looked into this before and I I didn't get anywhere. So, um, but anyway, I just want to put out there, Cross Country Canada, if anybody... (laughs) knows about Copper 64 version or other platforms besides Apple II and DOS, let us know, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on. Yes. We started high school in 19, what, 85? A6. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And when we got into high school, just like Robin was talking about how various other countries had a computer education mandate where they actually specced out a machine and had a machine built for their either region or country or something like that, where we were living in Ontario, the Ontario uh, provincial government started a program, I believe like in 81 or something like that, they set out some specs for a computer that they were going to be using. Um, they were going to have in, in every classroom as part of their 
uh, well, maybe not in every classroom, but they were going to be using this computer as part of their computer education program. So there, there was various computers that were around, like the Pets and the Commodores and the Apples, that probably could have fit the bill. <laughs> yes. But it was, it was quite a controversy in specking this thing out and how a particular company was just ready with just the right machine, or at least the right design to pull parts together to make this machine almost immediately after the government uh, put out their specs. And so we got this thing called the Icon Computer, or sometimes nicknamed the Bionic Beaver <laughs> yes. uh, Computer. And this was something that Robin and I had, we used when we were in high school. Yeah, I don't know if, if when we got it, it was made put together by Unisys or whatever, but you probably have a, a few more details to fill in on this. Yes. Way back in 1981, the Ontario Ministry of Education set about trying to you know get this computer together. So they started putting out, uh, what's what's the word? Uh, requests, requests, proposal, requests. Yeah, proposals for purchase kind of thing. And it took them until about 1983 to narrow down exactly what they wanted which apparently didn't exactly exist. Mm. And then yeah, it almost seemed like they just kind of tweaked a few things here and there so that you couldn't use an existing machine, right? They wanted a pet like case, mm -hmm. this all in one construction, but they didn't want a pet itself. They wanted headphone output for voice and sound effects. They wanted a trackball because that was yes. the future, you know? Uh, but I guess as a student-friendly mouse substitute, that would be sure. built into this pet-like case. Great for playing Missile yep. Command. That's right. <laughs> and looking to the future, they wanted this thing to be multitasking, and they wanted it to be networked. Mm, and they had Networked. Yeah, and we want voice synthesis, and we want, uh, of course, French support with the fancy, like all the extra characters for the mm -hmm. accents and everything. And we want it to be not just connected, but to be like a thin client became the term where mm -hmm. there would be a server system down the way, you know, like a, yeah, there'd be a server. And yeah. so, <laughs> so they went through this huge process so they are given, uh, the SEMCorp was given the contract $10 million to develop the original computer. It took about a year to start building the beta version of it. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we got to high school in 86, there was the, you know, it was, it was kind of rolled out. Yes. So, and wasn't there yeah. some sort of controversy about the provincial government was going to fund like half or 75% of the purchase price? of all these things, of all these computers, you know, whatever company ended up building this thing, all the schools were going to get them. The school boards weren't going to have to pay the tons of money. The government was going to be paying a ton of money to this company for these computers. So there's, there's a bit of a scandal, I think, on <laughs> even the, even the funding model for this. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we won't get too deep into that. I yeah, don't even, that's I don't right. even really it, know. But it, it didn't really matter to us when, when we were kids. We showed up, and I guess it would have been grade nine that we would have been using the icons. Now, I don't remember using the icons. Maybe there was two classes we used the icons in, and then they were kind of gone, right? Oh, I, I remember them being there pretty much throughout yeah okay um, but we I'll, ended up using different computers like there were a few different computer labs with different types of computers in them in our high school yeah you you and i got excused from some of the classes because i think the teacher didn't like how you know we were a little too smart for our own good or whatever right. so we got yeah. banished to the commodore 128 lab but <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> So do, do you remember your first impressions when we did go into that computer lab full yeah. of these icon computers? What did you yep. think? I thought that they looked, I was disappointed because they were monochrome computers. Yeah. They were these big clunky seventies <laughs> looking computers with the trackball on it. 
And yeah, they kind of reminded me of the pet and it's like, oh man, I'm doing, Com- I've been doing Commodore 64 stuff for a few years by this point. It's like, I'm going back to pet stuff, monochrome. And because it was a networked system where they were pushing the programs to you or pushing the curriculum to you, it's not like you could even just sit down and ignore what the teacher was doing and, and have your own fun. Yeah. Uh, because there's very limited amount of built-in softwares, as far as I remember. Like, I remember doing a lot of drawing. Like, you could use yeah. the trackball and do, like, not even, like, maybe you could do fluid drawing. But it was, my memory of it was, like, trackball over here, set a point, trackball over here, set another point, draw a straight line between it. And so yeah. we would draw, like, these almost, like, vector drawings <laughs> on, on the thing. It, but what was cool about it was like you could morph these drawings. Yeah. Because and so I remember we would do like a lot of Star Trek kind of space kind of <laughs> animations with it. Yeah. Because that particular program we're talking about actually was vector based. And yeah. so, yeah, that that's right. So, so yeah, there are a whole bunch of applications. It's not like there was a huge number of programs available, but there was a pretty nice set of okay depending on what we were we were doing. Yeah, so just, I, I just want to talk about my first impressions. That's right, like the pet was old, and as cool as I thought the pet was at one time, you and I weren't necessarily so nostalgic for it then. Like, it, mm-hmm. here it is, the mid-80s. I was still fond of the pet, but, you know, that was the past to me now, and I was mm-hmm. excited about Commerce 64, the Amiga was coming along, and, mm-hmm. and so on, yeah. So when I saw them, they're like a pet, but enormous like 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 a normal pet um is big but that's nothing a normal pet's about you know 50 pounds of hardened steel and cast (laughs) iron but this thing but this thing like the the pet is a tiny sleek computer next to (laughs) next to smelt yeah it, it is so the icon just had it was just so much wider the keyboard was enormous for it and then it had the trackball hanging off. It had, I think it had a number pad and it had this big old trackball that needed like another, oh, I don't know, like another square foot of, of, of. Robin's holding his hands like he's got a pumpkin or something. It's like the trackball was not that big. Well, I'm not saying the trackball itself was that big, <laughs> but the mounting plate for it and everything, like, you know, when you use a trackball, you're only seeing the surf. It's like an iceberg, right? You That's just right. see the top and yeah. then, but under it was like bowling ball kind of thing. And you got to have okay. that plate to cover it up. Anyway. Okay. Maybe sure. I'm exaggerating a little, but it was a ridiculously huge computer. It was a big, yeah, it was a yeah. big machine. Do you remember that there was a guy like, I, I think when we were in high school, I can't think of anybody who on the software side of things, on the programming side of things, you know, there was us, there was Jeff, there was Farley, but there wasn't any other group of kids who was as well-versed and as competent as we were that way. But there was one guy who really had the skills when it came to hardware and networking. Uh-huh. And there's this, there's this guy, like I just always associate with the icon lab. And I, I, I wonder if there was like a pet lab. Cause like I picture the drives and it reminds me of those big, uh, double wide pet drives, but maybe those were the icon drives or something too. I think his name was Gordy. Oh, and, yeah, Gordy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like this guy, he was like, I think the teachers really liked having him around because he could get things done and he could figure things out and, and fix things up when they weren't working right. Yeah. I remember Gordy and yes, he had some special hardware and networking skills. He absolutely did. We didn't have a pet lab at Westgate, did we? Oh, we did. We did. Okay. So maybe, maybe I, I kind of do remember him running around with the big, I don't know what those are, 8050 drives or something like that. Yeah. There was a pet lab that, I think you and I never got to go into, at least not officially. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to think of all that beautiful hardware mm-hmm. that I was barely even interested in at that time. Mm-hmm. And do you remember they one day they they swooped in, took all the pets, and put a bunch of Commodore 128s in their place. So that that room became the 128 yeah. lab, eh? Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. I, I'm almost certain. 
Like, because there's basically, there was two or maybe three computer labs on the second floor in the business wing. Yeah. And I think you and I only got to use the icon lab for most of our high school career. Mm -hmm. And then later we were supposed to be using the icon lab, but because we were a little too smart, Mm -hmm. we got put in the Commodore 128 lab. So we wouldn't keep correcting the teacher. That's right. Uh, Yeah. There was a PC lab. I recall here, maybe this is also helpful thinking about doing computer classes in school. There's the math side of things and there's the business side of things. And we were often doing the math kind of things, which is the programming. The business side of things would be applications and, and word processing, perhaps stuff like that. I seem to recall being in a PC lab at some point in high school and doing some elementary C programming. Wow. Do you remember that at all? I do not. I seem to recall coming out of high school with a with a very low level understanding of C. And I think that somebody gave me, it was either the ANSI C book or a book on C when I was in high school. And maybe the other book that we had, we had to buy in university. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think did maybe, maybe Mr. Dubit gave us a yeah, book on C. Yeah. And I yeah. think we each got a copy, but do you think we did some C in class? I think maybe we did. Okay. A couple other icon stories. Yeah, yeah. Because of this whole thin client thing, do, do you remember? Okay, this is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So it's networking. If, if people know about a little bit about how a computer server works, it sits there, it takes requests from all the clients and, you know, gives them what they need. What well, can happen at different levels, but, you know, there's a hard drive in that server and it has a, a read head that can only do one thing at a time. So when you have a multitasking system, it's being pulled in different directions at once. So what we found out was that the way that system worked was so poor that when all the students came to class at once, there might be 20 of these mm-hmm. thin, suppose thin clients, 100 pound computer thin clients, <laughs> and everybody would click on the application they're supposed to write. Okay, everybody, we're supposed to do paint today. Okay, paint. Mm-hmm. So everybody moves their trackball over to, it had like a simple, very simple GUI. And we would all deliberately launch <laughs> at exactly the same moment. Like we would time it. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three, click. Click. And all those requests would go to the server at the same moment. And that poor server would start thrashing. And that's the, yeah. that's the word for it, where it would send, I don't know, maybe a part of a kilobyte or something, each, whatever, would read like one sector of that poor hard drive and start saying that over the network. And that would do the next one and the next one. And basically we could waste half the class, 30 minutes (laughs) waiting for that server to serve up everybody's applications. And we do it on purpose. It would drive the teacher crazy. Eventually he had to march. Nobody click anything yet. I'm going to tell you when. And then he would go to person to person and say, okay, you click. And then he would wait. And then, yeah. And so the teacher would have to manually, you know, run, run the loading of. So when something thrashes, it is spending, it's slower than if it does it just in a linear fashion because it's spending so much time seeking and servicing in between, eh? So that was that was a favorite memory. <laughs> wasting time. Wasting time. How to kill class. Another thing that I remember about computers in school was the computers in the library. Now they didn't have like a bunch of computers out for us just to wander into and and sit down and, and do computer work on. This is probably too early for that kind of thing. But within the in the librarian resource office kind of thing, the little glassed off area, oh. there was a couple Commodore 64s in there. And you could book time, like at lunchtime and stuff, to use the Commodore 64. The school itself didn't have a huge library of software, but the Board of Education did. Yeah. And you could put in requests for software. So one of the things that I remember enjoying doing was just going in and 
browsing the list of stuff that they had and, and bringing some things in and, you know, maybe playing a little bit of little computer people and stuff like that at lunchtime <laughs> on the Commodore 64 or bringing out fast hack them and <laughs> making copies for myself. And I think they had a nice uh, library of Geos software and fonts and stuff like that. So oh. made sure that I, I got myself some copies of those as well when I was a kid. Yeah. So in high school. So was this, this was in high school, was it? Yeah. This was at the Westgate library. Yeah. You know what? Now, now that you say that I can kind of imagine that going on. And was I just ignoring you that year that you were doing that or what? Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe that was the year that you were in Australia. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't even around probably. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you needed a new hobby since I wasn't. That's right. Since I was, (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) So I started copying stuff. (laughs) School board. Yeah, I can imagine that. And I can also, strangely, I never did that myself. I, I don't remember getting involved with that myself, but I can imagine you doing that. Yeah. Well, I think that you had more contacts in the real world um, <laughs> with people who were willing to trade software. That's a way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, though, to think that the school board had a, you know, a software library mm-hmm. in a, a more literal sense that you could request and you could yeah. borrow it. Yeah. Now, a bit of that software has actually made it into my collection where I have quite a bit of Commodore education software and some of it says Lakehead School Board on it. Right on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just imagine all the hardware and the software, all the neat stuff that was available at one time and, you know, they threw it out, they mm-hmm. whatever. But you and I, I think we've talked about it before, some of it went up for auction though. Yeah. And we were there and we bought some of it. Yeah. That was good stuff. By the time the Amiga came out, there wasn't an Amiga lab at our high school. Did the school itself own like maybe half a dozen or 10 Amigas? Did they have Amigas in the 128 lab? Or did we have friends who brought their Amigas into school and set them up for us to play with? (laughs) I I remember playing Test Drive in the 128 lab on somebody's or maybe the school's Amiga think Amiga 500. I don't remember Amigas at high school at all. I I don't I I was pretty sure there wasn't a lab, but I was wondering if maybe there was just a row of them at one point. Yeah, I guess there could be. And you're positive it wasn't the Commodore version of Test Drive because that did exist. Yeah, it did exist. I don't think that it was. I mean, I know yeah. you know the difference between an Amiga and a Commodore 128, but <laughs> but my memory might not. <laughs> Yeah. I think that it was a big deal when, when I saw it and I was playing it there, and, mm-hmm. and the big deal was that it was Amiga. Uh, I do have a couple other computer memories. One is that I never knew that these were there, but after the Commodore PET, Commodore did make a Commodore PET 2 line mm-hmm. of computers, uh, which are much more rare and very interesting-looking computers. Some of them are, like, curved. And yes. Is uh, this the educator line? I don't think so. Okay. While there was like basically a Commodore 64 in a pet case, mm-hmm. there was this whole pet two series that had more RAM and 80 column screens. They were much more right. business like. Okay. And I remember once ending up in a lab full of those somewhere, at least a good size room full mm-hmm. of those computers but I didn't really care at that time. And now, oh, like maybe this was like after these should have been, they, they were getting rid of these things. Maybe yeah. had I asked the right people or whatever, I could have had some of those beautiful, rare mm-hmm. Commodore computers. What I did get though, was right near the end of high school, they were supposed to get rid of all the old pets. I got to buy a pet from my school for $25. Did I tell this story before? I feel like I did, but... I don't know if you told this story before. Yeah, so it was uh, Mr. McDougall, our English teacher, mm-hmm. and he, I guess he told me, yeah, he knew I was a nerd or whatever, he said, yeah. did you know that we're getting rid of these pets? I was like, I can buy a pet for $25? And 
I guess I had become, I think there was a time where I just didn't care about pets. And then maybe by right at the end of high school, like 1990, yep. I had started getting more nostalgic about all these things already. And they started mm -hmm. interesting me. So yeah, I specifically remember going in and choosing one of the few pets that was there. And then I was supposed to go down to the office. They had to yep. pay the school $25. I got this little receipt. And then I was like, okay, here I am standing in the hallway, end of the school day with a pet. Now I got to get home. So <laughs> I just started walking. This is, I, there's no way I could do this now. And, yeah. uh, and what, well, we've talked about this before, but what we lived about two kilometers from, no, not yeah, even, right? A, a kilometer right. and a half. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. About a mile. Yeah. I think a kilometer and a half is about right. Probably about a 15 minute walk. Yeah. So off, off I went walking down, like walking from the high school, Walking through the through the industrial area, yeah. Walking well, walking through the parking lot with all like the banners and the you know, I was the nerd, yeah. Carrying the the <laughs> carrying this huge commodore pet, uh, <laughs> and it was you know they're heavy, and uh, yeah. Walked. I got about halfway home, and Mister McDougal, who tipped me off about the pets, actually was driving by yep. uh, in his suspiciously big van. And, uh, offered to give me, I, I happily <laughs> accepted a ride, uh, and he drove me the rest of the way home with the pet, but I did get about halfway home. Right on. Yeah. But that, that's how determined right. I was to have this, this pet. <laughs> I have two follow-up questions that you may or may not include. Yeah. Why, why, why do you say suspiciously big van? Just, you know, when, when people stop to offer you a ride and they're driving a right. big van. Yeah. That's suspicious. That is suspicious. I mean, yeah. I drive a big van around now and I'm very suspicious. <laughs> well, at least you've got lots of windows in your van. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. His did not. <laughs> I have no memory of you getting a pet at the end of high school. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that's weird. It was great. How, how did I not pay attention to that? Yeah. That, that was the first pet I ever owned. And where did that live? Uh, in, in my in room, room, I guess. Somewhere in my room. Yeah. I don't remember a pet being in your room on Donald Street. Yeah. I'm not questioning the validity of your memory. I'm just exposing the holes in mine. I guess I don't know where I kept it. I can remember using it in, in my, in my bedroom there a few times. Uh, and mm -hmm. experimenting with getting some stuff loaded on it. It was an 80-column screen, so that's when I started discovering, oh, what I really want is a 40-column pet, because that's the mm -hmm. ideal for running those games we loved. Yeah. I remember having it there. Probably I stuck it under a desk most of the time, because I had my Amiga. Sure. It wasn't going to replace my Amiga or my Commodore 64, uh, obviously. Definitely remember having it, and it was an 8032. Cool. Model 8032. Yeah, and it was it was several years later that uh, the the separate school board was selling off a ton of their pets that we were able to load up the back of Ron's car with. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've, I've got a blurry picture of you and I with our heads stuck in the back of Ron's car yeah. full of pets. The olds. Yeah, the olds. <laughs> yep. That was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> a nice haul. One last thing. Uh, I think safe to say, oh, I say one last thing. And then I think of another thing that I want to talk about too. Sure. Um, I think our, our favorite uh, computer teacher in high school was Mr. Dubeck. He seemed to be the youngest and hippest of the, of the math computer business guys who was teaching us things. And he, he seemed to recognize our keen interest in computers and in programming. Yeah. And uh, he would really encourage us with that and, and just he would share our interest in computer games and stuff too. Yeah. And, and he um, was obviously knowledgeable and interested in computers. Yeah. He was one yeah. of the more competent ones. Um, yeah. I can think of like a couple of the math teachers who would obviously be very competent as well, but some of the business teachers, maybe they knew the applications, but they weren't as knowledgeable on the programming side of things, yeah. which we were interested in. So Mr. Dubik was, was, probably our favorite teacher. And he recruited us for the computer team. Yes, the computer team. <laughs> and it wasn't a club. Nope. It was a team. Yes. <laughs> Despite what our friend Paul said. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Go, can you do the imitation of him? I, I don't think I can. 
Yeah. But yeah, Paul would always give us a hard time for being these nerds in the computer club. And yeah, it's like, com- come on, Paul, this is a team just like the football team. Yeah. Just yeah. like the football yeah. team. Yeah, and he'd say, no, you have to have sticks and uniforms. Do you remember this? He had the, he had this kind of awesome rant about yeah. how you couldn't be a computer team because teams have like, you have to have hockey sticks and helmets and so on to be a team. <laughs> what about reach for the top, Paul? <laughs> so yeah, we got to do computer team and it was really just like a once a year kind of thing Yeah, where we would get the day off and we would, we would go to the university and all the different high schools from the city and from the region would send uh, a couple teams along as well. And we would work our way through programming challenges and eat a free lunch at the university and yeah 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 Be- do you remember how beaver bay would always send in its team yes yeah, so. and they were always really smart <laughs> what a bunch of nerds i think it was beaver bray oh yeah beaver bray yeah yes. beaver bay is was is a town just in northern minnesota but beaver bray was a high school in kenora oh that's it okay yeah so it was the kenora, so kenora kids yeah they knew what was going on. <laughs> they had nothing else to do. So how many years do you figure we were involved with the computer contest? I'm thinking at least three years. Yeah, I think maybe even f- four or even yeah. all, f- all Maybe five? all five years? Yeah, yeah. but I definitely three or four years. Yeah, um, I remember doing the junior. I would assume that we did the junior at least once and then the two senior years. Yeah. When we went, okay, for our American and perhaps UK listeners or listeners outside of Ontario in the 1980s, when we went to high school, it was a five-year high school program. Yeah. So we did grade nine through 12, and then a fifth year, which was called our OAC or our Ontario academic credit. So generally, I guess there was the two junior years and then the three senior years, right? Is that yeah, how it was kind of split? Yeah. I guess so. so it was always me and Robin on the computer team. <laughs> yeah. And Every year there was somebody else. And some years we got Farley. Farley was good. Farley was very helpful. Farley's a good guy. We were friends with him and he was smart. Yeah. And then other years there were other smart people that we didn't know. And <laughs> and I some years there were folks who weren't too helpful at all. Yes. But um and you know, I was always good for getting some donuts and snacks. <laughs> Yeah, when I, Robin I, got on a roll, I kind of <laughs> stayed out of the way. I could help every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. So yeah, like Darren was saying, that this was a competition between you know each high school would put in their team, and we were given you know handed out these sheets of paper like it's the goal of today. Like it would say mm-hmm. write a program to do this thing, and then you'd get a certain number of points if your program could do it. And then the next step would be it would keep kind of leveling up and becoming more and more difficult. Where, for example, one year, I think we were supposed to do like an artificial life form, maybe. Do you remember this one? I don't remember this one. Where like it might start really simple where you would have like basically bugs that would have DNA sequences, so to speak. That's right. Yeah. At first, all you had to be able to do was like either, you know, show them on screen or here's the different combinations of DNA that would create these bugs. But then you had to have them maybe move. It wasn't necessarily like game-based. The graphics weren't Mm -hmm. so important. Then they would interact or things would happen and just kept getting more and more difficult. So we would have maybe, I don't know, four hours or something. You'd show up and the professor would give like a, a quick summary of it or whatever. And then you'd all mm-hmm. set up. Oh yeah. And you're supposed to bring your own computers. So that was That's interesting. Right. Each team would decide what they're what going they to bring. The program on. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine some of the schools would provide the computers that the teams were working on. Yeah. But we would always want to bring our own. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we would bring our earlier on, we'd bring a Commerce 64. Yep. And then later we'd, we'd bring an Amiga. Yep. And our languages weren't always the best suited for uh, for the task, but you know if 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 you know your language and yep. you, you've got all the basics there, so yeah, it 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 did kind of fall where I was doing most of the programming, 
Mm-hmm. And then I would bounce, I, you know, the other people that were there, I would ask questions too. But it's not like we could be programming simultaneously. That's right. Only one person's really doing the coding. And I remember one or two years in particular, that's why I think we probably did go four or five times because okay. I can remember us having at least three different third members of the team, one of them, they want to understand what was going on. So they kept asking questions, but this is a competition with a time limit. So I'm trying to code up a storm. I'm just trying to like go. And this guy, all he's doing is asking questions that slow me down. That's right. Try to explain it. I I can understand the perspective. He was probably upset that I wasn't making much use of him. Sure. I do what I had to do. (laughs) There's no time for talking. Get me a donut. That's right. My brain needs fuel. <laughs> it was interesting because our team, we would bring our Amigas. The Churchill team, they would bring their Amigas. The FW team, they would bring their personal Amigas as well. I'm thinking of Hal and his yeah. Amiga. But besides us three, I think there was some PCs there. Oh, yeah. At least in the later years. But yeah, there. I guess there really wasn't a ton of interaction between the various teams, like we didn't really, they didn't force us to mix and mingle during our downtime or anything like that. Yeah. So unfortunately we never got to know like these big brains from Kenora or even the other kids from around town Yeah, that we didn't know prior to going into the contest. That's right. The whole setup was uh, because of the competitive nature, it was very antagonistic. Like the only reason, Mm. I mean, unless you're just a really nice person uh, you know, us computer nerds are totally known for being so social and wanting to, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, they, they did nothing to try and get us together, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just, those were our competitors. And if anything, you wanted to like sabotage them or something. But <laughs> That's right. Not that we usually did that, but yeah, it is too bad that if there was uh, an element to bringing everybody together, that would have been so, that could have been really good through the rest Mm -hmm. of the year at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I do remember probably one of the last years, one of the last two years, um, by this point of time, we had been getting into bulletin board systems, BBSs. Yeah. And there were some guys from Port Arthur who I had met on some of the BBSs. The north end of Thunder Bay. That's right. Yes. We were from Fort William, the south end, and these guys were in Port Arthur. But I'd met them on the BBSs. And I think the first time I met my buddy, John, who um, I ended up, uh, you know, doing comic strips with and running uh, live action role playing games in university with. I think the first time I met him was at the computer contest, met him in real life, was at the computer contest. He was from uh, the Port Arthur Collegiate Institute. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And we should give a shout out to our friend, Ron, who would compete. We were at Westgate High School. He was at Churchill. And Mm -hmm. every year he would beat us. He would. (laughs) He would always be in the spot above us. Above us. That's right. So I remember for sure the best we ever did was second place because Ron got first. And then other years we got third place and Ron got second. And those guys from Kenora got first. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't feel too bad. Ron went on to become a PhD in artificial intelligence and and all this kind of stuff. So, and Darren and I barely managed to get our undergrads. So that says a lot. There you go. (laughs) Congratulations, Ron. (laughs) Good for you, Ron. (laughs) So those are some of our memories of computers in school, the actual computers themselves and some of the fun things that we were doing with them and around them in elementary school and in high school. And thank you, Robin, for also bringing in a whole bunch of that, that interesting information at the beginning about the acorn, not the acorn, the B, yeah, the yeah, acorn, by about acorn. the BBC yep. and the, and the, and the micro B and, yes. and some of the other information about different computer systems used in school boards around the world that I don't know too, too much about. Yeah, definitely check out uh, Retro Man Cave's BBC documentary about that. It's very eye-opening. It'd be awesome if we could get a documentary like that made about the Icon computers in Ontario. Mm -hmm. They're actually extremely rare and hard to find now. It sounds like the school board very deliberately pulled, uh, you know, the pets they sold to the public. The Icons, for whatever reason, 
were all rounded up and as far as I know, almost all destroyed. Mm-hmm. Very few of them exist. My friend Sid Bolton down at the Personal Computer Museum in Southern Ontario had one, uh, but Sid passed away a few years ago. And so I don't even know what's become of that uh, mm-hmm. very rare example of it. So uh, if there are people who have that, I would absolutely love to have an icon and show it on 8-bit show and tell sometime, but I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, how that ever is going to happen. Well, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. That's why we've got our Kijiji alerts oh, set yes, up. We do. You, you do too, eh? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for joining us on Growing Up 80s. We invite you, of course, as Robin just mentioned, to share your memories of computers in the schools with us on Twitter. You can tweet me at Darren Folds. And me at 8-Bit Show and Tell. Or you can tweet both of us at our Grown Up 80s Twitter account, at GUP80s. And look for us on Patreon, where any monthly donation will get you access to our exclusive patron-only podcast. Extra generous patrons like Ian and Justin and Chris get a shout-out on the podcast. You guys are cool. Shout-out to you. (laughs) And the most generous patrons can suggest topics for the patron-only podcast. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends. Check out our YouTube channel for occasional video content. And for Robin Harbin, I am Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. Right. Radio.